Hey, my name's Ruben, the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. Welcome to our podcast, where you can catch up on all the messages that you might have missed, or you might want to hear again. We hope you enjoy this message. We hope it challenges you. We hope it encourages you. And we hope ultimately that it would draw you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Hey, uh, I'm excited to be here. Are you guys excited to hear from the Word of God um, tonight? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks, man. Um, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited for a couple of reasons. I'm excited because this, to me, is church family, right? Um, I rocked up here six years ago now to come to uni. I hate saying that that was six years ago, but it was. Um, and, and this, ever since, has been my church family. And so when you get to speak to family and, 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 and speak God's word to family, that I just count as a massive honor and a massive privilege. Um, but to be honest, really what I'm so excited about tonight is that over the last couple of weeks, uh, as I've been preparing this message, God's presence in us, uh, the Holy Spirit really has been doing a work on me, and He has been teaching me and guiding me, um, convicting me as, uh, as I've been putting this together. And so to be able to share that with you uh, gets me really excited tonight. So I'll ask you one more time, are you excited to get in the Word of God tonight? Amen. Amen. Right, so uh, yeah, as Isaac said, we are in a series on the presence of God. Um, I've been loving this series. I, I reckon that the presence of God uh, it can be one of those topics that can be hard to get our heads around, right? Um, we sort of know that God is always present, yet there are times that his presence is just so evident or so tangible in a room or in experiences that we've had. And sometimes, maybe that will look like speaking in tongues or prophetic words. Other times, it might just be God speaking to us in a gentle whisper, in quiet moments, in the directions of our thoughts or our convictions. Meanwhile, you know, other times, we might struggle to see his presence or the evidence of his presence at all. And then this, is this other element, right, that it doesn't seem to be universal, because I have met believers who practice um, prophetic word regularly, and I've met other just as faithful um, servants of God who have never experienced that outworking of the Holy Spirit in their life at all, right? This is a big topic, and there's been a lot of thought about it um, and discussion around it throughout the evolution of the church, and I'm talking about you know, the capital C church, and so it's, it's one that I've really appreciated us as Crossroads digging into over the last few weeks. It's a topic that we're continuing with today, and we're going to take a look at a whopper piece of scripture that looks at a profound moment in biblical history that many of us will know as Pentecost, right? And if you've never heard of that word or you've heard it tossed around at church but never really known what it means, Pentecost is this moment in time where Jesus has just died on the cross to free us from the burden of our sins. He has risen from the dead. He's walked among his people for another 40 days after that. And then just before he ascends to go back to heaven, he tells his disciples, look, would you just stay put here in Jerusalem where you are um, until, a, until a day where you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Now, this is a big deal, right? Because the Holy Spirit uh, at this time was not a new addition to the Godhead. He has always been present. But... To, up until this point, the Holy Spirit and the presence of God was confined to places of pure holiness, of which the human race, a bunch of sinners, not one of those places. 
And so Jesus was saying to his disciples, I'm going back to heaven to sit with the Father, but I will send my Holy Spirit upon you to live within you, now that you are made clean enough by my work that I did on the cross. So just hang tight, stay together, wait for my Spirit to come on you. You're still with me, right? And, and 10 days goes past after Jesus goes back to heaven, and then comes the day that he has promised where his spirit comes upon his people, and it's the day that we call Pentecost. And it's on this day that we're going to enter our scripture today. So we'll, we'll go there now. You can turn there with me. We are in Acts chapter 2, and we are starting right at the top, verse 1. This is what it says. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looks like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And then when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Peter thought he better explain. He steps forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Whoever says the Bible is boring has not read it, I swear. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day that the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Scripture is incredible, right? This, this was a day of mammoth implications. This was a day that marked the start of God taking up residence in his people. And it was a day that meant that us here today get to experience relationship and intimacy with our creator. We have never walked alongside Jesus, but as believers, we have an assurance that his presence and his power dwells on the inside of us and will lead us and guide us and convict us wherever we go. So this was a day of huge significance. 
And we will get to all of the wonder and the incredible nature of this day and the speaking of tongues and prophetic words. But, you know, right now as we kick off, I want to look at what this meant in the day-to-day lives of the people this was happening to on the day of Pentecost, the disciples. Because the disciples were about to set out on the biggest mission of their lives. There was a world that needed to encounter Jesus and there was a church that needed to be established. That was the mission that Jesus had given them when he left. But, but for this to happen, they would need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because as, as little as a few years prior, they were a fairly rough old bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and sinners. Jesus, though, he had turned it all around for them. But if they were going to spread this good news of a, of a Savior that wants to save the Jews and the Gentiles and the underqualified, the strong and the weak, if they wanted to go out and perform miracles like they'd watch Jesus do and watch this gospel message multiply and spread across the globe, they would need the Holy Spirit. They would need the same power that Jesus drew on to heal the sick and to free the sinner. They needed the Holy Spirit. But see, I, I want to recognize that this meant that the disciples were facing big change. Because it meant that no longer would Jesus be walking alongside them in his physical form. You know, that season where he did walk with them had great purpose and significance. That significance stretches 2,000 years later to us here today. But change had to occur for this message to go forth. And I can't help but think that for the disciples, this must have been at least a little bit uncomfortable because the person that had taken this bunch of underqualified fishermen, tax collectors, sinners, and flips their life upside down, let them witness the miracles, he wasn't going to be there anymore. The person who corrected them and taught them in the right ways. Think of that time that James and John asked if they could sit either side of his throne and they got a bit of a clip around the ears and Jesus took the time to explain to to them you know, boys, you don't even know what you're asking of me. Or that time that Peter was walking on water, but his faith became insufficient and he he begins to sink, but Jesus was right there to pull him back out of the water. They were going from this physical, in the flesh, right beside them, outworking of their Lord, and it was changing. And they weren't losing him. Let's be very clear about that, right? But how uh, he spoke to them and used them and counseled them, that was going to look very different. It's the reality. The mission looks different. The the purpose of the season looks different. And so how he spoke and how he counseled was going to have to look different. He wasn't leaving them, but how they experienced him was having to change. Because Jesus knew that for the message of the gospel to go forth and to multiply in the world, he couldn't physically walk alongside each of his disciples as he sent them out. Think about it, that would not be a very efficient evangelism method. It would take a long time to reach the globe. They didn't have the benefit of TikTok or Instagram Live to make this thing go viral. So he would need to send his Holy Spirit. The way that God guided and counseled his people had to change. He was sending the greatest gift he could give, his presence with them always, wherever they went. The power and authority of God the Father dwelling on the inside of them. And you know, it is that same power that as soon as we accept Jesus, we get to receive. But it was still change. And I think we can all admit 
that change, good or bad, can cause discomfort. And this is not written in the holy read of our Bibles, but my assumption of this moment is that the disciples were facing change in how they knew God, and there must have been some discomfort. And so Jesus, he has ascended to heaven, and for 10 days they are waiting. Can you imagine how that must have felt? Jesus has ascended, and and for 10 days they are waiting. They have a promise, but they're waiting, and they're facing something brand new. Wonder, have you ever been in a moment where you wonder where God is in your situation? I'm not sure we'd be human if we haven't. Have you ever felt so convicted to go out and do something for the Lord, but you're five steps in and things look like they're going south? And maybe you feel cheated. Like, God, you got me into this. I'd love to know where you are now. Or, 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 God, I've trusted you my whole life, and it's gotten me through to this point. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But this headwind that I'm facing right now in my finances, in my marriage, in my study, in the decisions that my kids have been making, you can insert your situation here. It has shaken me, and it's shaken my faith. Can we be honest with each other today? Have we had moments like this? You know, the, the moments of I just don't see where you are. I don't see how you could let this happen. I don't feel your strength and the peace like you've promised and like I've known it before. Well, I have an encouragement for each and every one of us today that has ever, will ever, or is ever going to uh, feel like the voice of God has become distant in your situation. My encouragement is that the God of creation who formed the sun, the moon, the stars, who controls the tides, placed the birds in the trees, filled the oceans with life, lives within you. Even now, his power, his authority, his peace, his justice, if you are a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is living on the inside of you. Even now, he is living in you and working through you. And we are going to dig deeper into this today because I believe that if we are going to become the people that God has called us to be, it is vital that we know this and that we remind ourselves that we are not doing this alone. Because even if we were to use all of our willpower and all of our strength and determination, the knowledge and the intellect we have, our gifts and talents, we could never be enough on our own to become all God has called us to be and to do the mission he set us out on. And we will wear ourselves thin and tire ourselves out with worry if we even try and navigate this thing on our own. Scripture says this, even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. We can't do this alone. Jesus was a baby conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible teaches us that when Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness, it was the Spirit that gave him the power to overcome that temptation. It says that the ministry of Jesus while he was here on earth was enabled and fulfilled by the Holy Spirit. The many miracles and healings that Jesus performed on earth were the actions of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus was fully reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit, how could we ever think that we would have the might to be all we're called to be without the miraculous power and work of the Holy Spirit inside of us? But what happens when God doesn't seem to be evident in our journey? Because 
God is living on the inside of you is a nice thing to say, and we believe it to be true. But what happens when that doesn't feel like the case? I wonder, do you think this might have been what the disciples were experiencing as Jesus ascended back to heaven, and they had this mammoth task of establishing the church in front of them? And at the same time as this, uh, every way that they knew to communicate with their God was changing. I believe God's been teaching me recently that often the times we think he's gone quiet on us are actually moments he's trying to teach us a new line of communication with him and pull us into greater intimacy and greater love for the Father. He's been teaching me that it's often in times of change where he wants to do the most teaching, but it can also be the time where we feel the most vulnerable and the most uncomfortable. The Holy Spirit is all about change. He will change you from the inside out. He will make you uncomfortable with things that you used to go to for enjoyment. He will give you a heart for the things and the people you used to walk past. He will give you perspective to see issues with his empathy and in the light of his law. He's a spirit of change. We often put it that he is refining us, which is this process where impurities are taken out of something. So we will need to have the humility to accept that things will have to change. When we let the Holy Spirit in, things will have to change. Accepting change, though, and taking on critique in any setting will take humility. Be it in your job, in the sport that you play, if we want to grow in these things, humility is absolutely key. And it's no different if we want to grow in our knowledge and encounters of the Holy Spirit. Let's not forget that By giving us the Holy Spirit to walk alongside all of us, the Gentiles and the Jews, uh, the man, the woman, the servant, the slave, God is taking his presence from the exclusivity of a temple and trusting us to give our lives and our bodies over to being his temple. See, but his presence doesn't live in cohabitancy with impurity and sin and things of the flesh. Maybe you're thinking, well, aren't we all just sinners and and don't we all have impurities? Yeah, we are, and, and yes, we do. But that was the work of Jesus to make us clean enough to have his presence with us and working through us everywhere we go. But the Holy Spirit will require our daily repentance, which is going to take a humility to realize that things will need to change. And the more of the world that we drop in the process the more temple floor space that he will want to take residence in inside of us. As Christians, we are in a constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. It takes humility to take on the convictions he is giving to you, to allow his spirit to do greater work in you. I've learned that sometimes when it feels like God isn't speaking, it can sometimes be my pride in the way of receiving what he's saying because it will require me to change. And change can be uncomfortable. If we are changing, if our actions are changing, if our hearts are changing, if the Spirit is transforming our minds, what we'll often find is that the ways we hear him and the ways he shows himself to us will change as well as he calls us into a greater obedience and therefore creates greater capacity to be who he has made us to be. I'm not saying that God changes. Nah. But his presence will change us. 
Think about if our education system just applied the same method of teaching to its high school graduates as it did to the five-year-olds entering the system. We wouldn't grow. We'd know our ABCs inside and out. We would be able to count to 10. We would have sticker charts for days. <laughs> but we wouldn't be very well equipped to start our professional lives. But instead... Each year, a good teacher will adapt their processes and their curriculum, recognizing that uh, you now have greater knowledge to be built on. And what they were teaching was not wrong, far from it. It was foundational. It's what has enabled you to move and, and grow into a new area of thinking. But as you develop in your knowledge, a, a good teacher changes their approach. Maybe you're saying... I went to church today and the preacher didn't say anything to my situation. Or I listened to my usual podcast that usually leaves me feeling inspired and built up, but I didn't sense God there this time. I have read the verse of the day every day this week, but nothing really has jumped out to me. Well, if we are believers in Scripture, we are given assurance that God hasn't left us. His presence hasn't neglected us. But he may be teaching you about a new way that he wants to speak to you that you haven't been expecting. And that's not to say that you should stop listening to the sermons and stop listening to the podcast. You should definitely not stop getting in the word. But I've found that often God will use the times where you feel like you're coming up dry or the times where you're entering a new season with new challenges that you haven't come across before to show you another way that he can be present in your life to give you the fuel and the sustenance that you require. A couple of weeks ago, um, Andrew Warnock preached an incredible message on one of my favorite passages where Elijah had run away to Mount Horeb, afraid because he had people that were after his life. And he's desperate from, for a word from the Lord in this moment. And Elijah had always known God to come in the big acts, in the fire coming down from heaven, he had had birds cater for him. So when he is crying out to God and a massive wind comes, you can imagine he's thinking, finally God is going to speak to me through this. He is coming with his power and all of his might to show me his provision. But no, the scripture says he wasn't in the wind. And then a, a big earthquake comes. Oh, finally, God, you've arrived. But no, it says he wasn't in the earthquake. And then comes the fire. <laughs> nice touch, God. Nice of you to show up. That was quite the entrance. Thank you, Lord. But no, he wasn't in the fire. And then finally God speaks to him in a way he hadn't expected. And he came with a gentle whisper. God had been with Elijah the whole time. He had just changed the way that he was speaking to fit the circumstance and the lesson that God needed to teach him in that moment. And so in times where God is looking to show us a new way to know him and to hear his voice, what are we supposed to do? When we can't understand where God is in a moment, what do we do? Well, I want to go back. Let's go back to the disciples at the time of Pentecost and see what they did. Right at the start of our passage in verse 1, they are waiting on the promised coming of the Holy Spirit. And what does it say? Verse 1, it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. Why were they doing this? Because I've been told to. 
Back in Acts 1, it tells us that Jesus had told them, stay put, do not leave Jerusalem, just wait for the gift my Father has promised. So where did one of the most significant events of all time take place? When did the Holy Spirit come upon his people in a mighty and and, and huge way? When they were together, when his people were together. Let's never neglect the gathering. Let's never forget the power of gathering with other believers. Since the day of Pentecost, we have the Holy Spirit with us wherever we go. But the Holy Spirit is a refiner. He wants to mold us and shape us into all that he has created us to be. So if we feel like God isn't speaking, the worst thing we could do is walk away from the gathering of God's people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to get together to build the faith of each other and share how God's speaking to us. Not sure how God's speaking? Stay together. Get around the people that love Jesus. In Matthew, it says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. There is power and significance in gathering. Want to develop and grow in your spiritual giftings? Gather. Gather with people who also have the Holy Spirit holding residence on the inside of them. Learn from each other. Share with each other. Encourage each other. We live in a time where online church and listening to podcasts, is, is, it's readily available to us. But these things are very good. The Holy Spirit will work through them. But they will never replace a life in community. And I don't think that it was by any mistake or any coincidence that it's at a time where the disciples were about to go through immense change to how they knew God. Jesus' instruction to them was to gather God will find a way to speak to you in isolation. He'll use those moments all the time. But even when you think about it, right, God met Elijah at his lowest, alone in a cave. He was faithful to show up. But what did he say? He said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Go and find a boy called Elisha. In other words, go and find community. Which leads me to the next point I believe God is speaking through this passage. When we can't recognize his voice, follow the last instruction you know you got. It was 10 days the disciples waited between Jesus ascending to heaven and the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came on them. It must have felt like a long time. But they followed the last instruction they were given. Isaac preached a fantastic message last week on God's presence through his word. He told us that we have a whole book written to us, and it lays out the ways in which he intended us to live. Doesn't give us every answer to every question we've ever asked. It's not an instruction manual for every specific problem that you're going through. But what it does tell you is every truth you'll ever need to know to face what you're up against. It will tell you of a God who has never left his people, a God that laid down the life of his son for you and for me of a God who lets us experience him within a broken world, of a God who is coming back to save his children, tells us of who we are, gives us hope and purpose to get up each morning on mission for him. Can't hear his voice? Gather. Follow his last instruction. Get in his teachings. 
And then we keep reading, and I promise we will get to the wonder and the incredible nature of what happened in the following verses. The disciples, they had followed instruction, they had gathered, they'd waited, prayed to the Father, and then the Holy Spirit came. Oh boy, did he come. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Must have been quite a sight. Onlookers thought they must have been drunk, which is because what they were witnessing was the full power of the Spirit on these people. And the Spirit is one of overwhelming joy. We're given a list of his characteristics in the book of Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This was all coming upon them in this moment. Would have been an incredible sight to watch. And that same spirit that came upon his people on this day will still come upon his people. I'm sure that for many of us, some of the outworkings of the Holy Spirit in this passage might be foreign to us. So please don't sit here and think this hasn't happened to me. Am I enough of a Christian? Because these are not a checklist for a faithful servant. This passage was not ever meant to be a comprehensive list of the ways that the Holy Spirit can work. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, When you believed in Christ... He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. So if you are a believer in the saving power of Jesus Christ, that he died and he rose to free you from the burdens of your sin, to be in right relationship with the Father, then you have the Holy Spirit. He lives on the inside of you. But what is being described on the day of Pentecost is the Holy Spirit coming upon his people. So they didn't stay in this state. They'd never get any mission done if he stayed upon them this way. But in this moment, he came upon them in a powerful way that would fuel them and sustain them for the mission ahead. And these are very real ways that God has shown himself to people and continues to do so. And if we want to grow in our understanding and love and intimacy with God, why would we not be on our knees and petition asking for God to show us his spirit in new ways? If it's for his kingdom, why not? I can't tell you how God will choose to reveal himself to you and the giftings he will use in your life. But we know his spirit lives within us, and this is something that we can bring to his feet. Let's be aware that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of change, a spirit that will seek to mature you in your faith. And one of the ways he might do that is through the speaking of tongues and through the prophetic which are giftings that will require a great level of responsibility and discernment and, once again, humility. But they are another way that the Spirit might offer us a greater intimacy and knowledge of the Father. And so let's not stop the discomfort of change or the limitations of our expectations from seeking how God might be speaking to us or looking to do so. Um, When I was, I want to say, about seven years old, My dad took me along to a place in Christchurch, uh, which is called QE2. Um, It was named after the Queen, obviously. uh, And it was built for the Commonwealth Games way back in 1974. And it had this massive pool complex, uh, which had hydro slides and all of the rest. This was the place for the kids to hang out in the day. 
Um, and this time we had gone uh, to, to QE2 during the school holidays. And because it was the school holidays, they had um, set up this massive inflatable obstacle course in their Olympic-sized diving pool. And this thing had everything that a seven-year-old boy wanted to see. It had climbing walls, it had foam pits, it had um, um, rope swings, you, know, you name it, it had it. And I was desperate to go on this thing. I, 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 I couldn't contain it, right? I, I was desperate to go on this thing, but there was one small issue. And listen, when you hear this, you can laugh all you want. Um, I don't really care. But at the time, right, I could not swim to save my life. And so that was going to pose an issue. But see, my dad, he had a lot greater faith in my abilities, obviously, because he just said to me, Jake, just do it. He uh, suddenly became a brand rep for Nike. Um, just do it. You can do this. You know, uh, he explained to me, look, the, the obstacle course, it comes right up to the side of the pool. So you can just jump straight on. There's no issues there. And then if you look at the other end of the obstacle course, right, it's there's about 10 meters, right, that you'll just have to flap about and, and, and make yourself over to, to the edge of the, the other side. I'll be right there. I'll be waiting for you. Don't even stress about it. Come on, man. Just do it. Stretch yourself. And he hyped me up, right? He hyped me up. And I began to get excited. If my dad thought that I could do this, I could do this. And so um, I, I went and I, I stood in line and it's a long line, but in this line, I and my excitement's just building. Man, come on, yes, I can do this. Dad wouldn't put me in harm, surely. Finally, the time comes, uh, and there's this man there counting each person onto the course. He'd give each person about a 10-second delay, right, just to give them space between each person. Um, but anyways, three, two, one, he, he sends me off, and, and I am, I'm running, and the first obstacle I think was a climbing wall, you know, I, I fly over this thing, easy, done, loving it. Um, the second obstacle was a rope swing, come on, you can, you can do better than this, easy peasy, um, all done. And then um, what happens next was something I hadn't been expecting, see, um, in the line behind me were these two high school boys, um, and, and, and they'd, they'd kind of closed the gap, that 10-second delay, they'd eaten that up, and, um, and, and they were coming, and, and I don't know if they just hadn't seen me, probably more likely they saw me, just couldn't give a staff, and um, they just came flying right into me, and, and little seven-year-old Jake just goes flying off the side of this obstacle course, right into the middle of the Olympic-sized <laughs> diving pool with no ability to swim. How could my dad have gotten me into this? <laughs> this was stupid. You know, I had put a lot of thought into that 10 meters at the end that I might have to swim, but somehow in all of my analysis, I had not put any thought into the facts that I might come off you know, early in the obstacle course. And so I had not prepared myself for this moment. And there I am in the middle of an Olympic-sized diving pool, flapping about. But do you know what? I, I kind of still wasn't that nervous because I, I chucked my hand up and I knew that my dad would have been watching all of this from the sidelines and he would be jumping in to come and get me. So, you know, I'm flapping about and I have my hand up waiting for dad. 
until another unexpected thing happens, right? Because um, the next thing that happens is uh, into my face just flies an, a pool ring, you know, those, um, those foam pool rings that they have at the public pools. And can I tell you, I, I was offended, you know? Um, this was my moment of need, and from the side of the pool, my dad had just chucked me this measly foam pool ring. And so I angrily, I angrily chuck this thing on and, and kind of start to flap myself to the, <laughs> to the other side of the pool. But, you know, can I tell you, like, by the time I got to the side of the pool and, and there was Dad, my angry thoughts and, you know, my frustration with him, it just it had dissipated because I realized, uh, I realized what he'd enabled me to do by stretching me. By, by, by believing in me. And I wonder, can we have moments where we feel like God has gotten us excited for something and we set off with great anticipation until the unexpected happens and suddenly we're in the middle of an Olympic-sized diving pool, wondering where he is, why he hasn't shown up in all of the ways he has before. I wonder if that's how the disciples felt as they waited on the Holy Spirit in those 10 days. Can I encourage you that the same God who gave you the courage to set out, who empowered you to begin the challenge, is the same God who is still living on the inside of you? And so we know he has never left us. But I wonder if there are times that, like my dad, he isn't responding in the same way we've always come to expect. And it's not to say that our past experiences of him were wrong. But maybe he has a desire to grow you in a new way and show you a new outworking of his provision. Change is often where we will feel most vulnerable, but it is an excellent opportunity for God to show you his hand and to deepen your love and your trust in them. He's still there. He's still active in your life. He's just wanting you to see a new side of him. Will you have the trust and him to continue to follow his last instruction, not neglect gathering with other believers? Will you have the humility to accept a new season, to find your truth in the scripture, to wait on the Lord? The full authority of God the Father lives on the inside of you. He doesn't leave. He doesn't run out of pull rings either. He'll pump you up. He'll get you excited. He'll give you the courage to take the jump. But when the unexpected happens and you're unsure where the presence of God is, let's not take offense at the new thing he's doing in us. Let's wait on the unexpected. It was out of great change that the disciples, empowered by the Holy Spirit, built the church that we are a part of today. And they shared a message of hope to the world. I wonder what might God do through us if we draw on the power of the Holy Spirit, if we expect the unexpected and yield to His voice. This is going to take the humility to drop the things of the, of the flesh, accept the change He's asking us for and convicting us to take part in. The humility and the courage and the faith to enlarge the temple that we offer to, the temple floor space that we offer to Him. You know, change can have us feeling vulnerable. It can scare us. It definitely requires humility. But when we start to see the fruit of the Spirit around us, when we start to see more kingdom, more of His kingdom around us, 
something I'm learning is well worth the cost. Why don't we pray? Father God, it's just been so, so good to look back at your disciples at the time of Pentecost. We recognize that they were going through a, a period of change, that they were um, coming up against something brand new. But you never left them. You sent your presence with them always. And that same presence lives on the inside of us today. That is an incredibly humbling thought to think that you would choose us and our lives to be your temple. We think of what the disciples were able to do with your spirit within them. And it makes us excited to think about what you might want to do through us, through your Holy Spirit within us. But we also recognize that sometimes it just feels like, I don't know where your presence is, God. These are real moments. It's just part of being human. But we thank you that we can go back to your scriptures. And we thank you that we can gather as a community of believers who have the Holy Spirit within us. We can remind each other of your past faithfulness, the fact that you do never leave us. And Lord, we ask that as we come to you in these moments where we feel like we're coming up dry, that you might show us new ways of how you might speak and be speaking to us. We're at your feet just so grateful, so, so grateful that you never fail to show up in our lives, that you're a provider and a healer and a saviour. And that same power that the disciples saw way back then is the same power that is here right now. Man, it's humbling to think. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for what you teach us. We thank you for how you speak to us. It's in your mighty name we pray all of this. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or maybe after today's message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find out everything you need to know on our website, which is crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you click subscribe on this podcast so you don't miss out on new content. Thanks for stopping by.